0: morning. It is a joy to gather with you in the house of the Lord. Would you please stand for the call to worship? For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Alleluia. Alleluia. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we give you thanks this morning for calling us together and for uniting us in your Holy Spirit. Inhabit our worship this hour. That our hearts may be lifted up to you. Shape and mold us this morning to make us fit for the service of your kingdom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: as we begin worship today. I'm going to invite you to take a moment and uh, share a word of peace or a greeting with others here in worship this morning.
2: an explosion of happiness
0: these kids are so excited because they're receiving toys for the very first time
2: who doesn't want a gift who doesn't want a present it shows them that out there there are people who
0: really care about you
2: you've got an army of volunteers that
1: pack the boxes
0: our volunteers for operation christmas child i believe are the lifeline of this project
1: to think that we can be part of something that's going to reach over 10 million kids this year, that's exciting. When the box ends into the hands of a child, that is not the end.
2: The big impact at the end of the day is lives that are changed. It's my prayer that God will use you to tell others about His Son, Jesus Christ. Operation Christmas Child is creating a ripple that's going around the globe.
0: So it started with a box, and it's ending with communities and countries being changed.
2: You know, these boxes are like a candle. It's a little bit of light that you take into a dark part of the world, and it makes a difference. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. We want the children of the world to know that there is a God. He loves them.
1: Of about a month until uh, Operation Christmas Child, the boxes need to be in. Uh, so your inserts in your bulletin with information about uh, what to put in the box. And we have lots of boxes in the CE foyer, I think, or over there. Um, We hope to have uh, hundreds of boxes that we uh, can send on to children in various places of the world. Please join me in the prayer of confession that's printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Almighty and all-loving God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have reconciled the world to yourself. Help us now to be reconciled with one another, that again we may dwell in the warmth of your love. Inspire us with your Holy Spirit to put aside the cloak of pride and put on Christ, that we might forgive and be forgiven, through Jesus Christ our Lord.
0: Would you please stand with me and sing the Gloria Patri as our ushers come forward. secure in your love and to share it freely with others in open-handed confidence that your grace and provision will never run out. In Jesus' name. Scripture reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 5. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We start asking about what the church expects, and we put it in the context that question in the context of this passage we've just read. It makes me both excited and scared to death because I'm excited about the fact that we we believe and we trust and we expect that God can do. Amazing miracles, people being healed, lives being transformed. But it also frightens me because when I read through the scriptures, I find that there is a connection between the prayers of God's people and the things that God does. And when we start talking about prayer and miracles, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of uncertainty. There are a lot of questions. There's a lot of mystery. And to try to, to try to explain all of that, first of all, it's impossible. People write books about these things. People write volumes of books. They write libraries of books about these things. And still never quite come to the end of it. And so to try to address something like this in a few minutes this morning is overwhelming. And yet, as I was reading through the book of Acts and thinking about the church and thinking about our church, it was evident to me that if we talk about living between what we are and what we're intended to be, this sense of our expectations for God are vital. one of the things that we find as we read the scriptures is that god tells us over and over again to pray bold risk taking prayers we we are commended again and again to to stick out our necks when we pray and god will do amazing things and so you have a passage like psalm 28 where god says to israel ask of me and i'll give you the nations as your inheritance little nation of Israel, the whole nations, all the nations. Or I come to James 4.2, where in the midst of their controversy, James says to them, you don't have what you want because you haven't asked for it. You haven't done anything about it. You haven't, you haven't brought it to me. You haven't, you haven't been in prayer about it. And then I think of the words of Jesus himself to his disciples in Luke 11, where he says to them, for he talks about prayer, and he says to them, So, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. For those who ask will be answered, and those who seek will find, and those who knock, the door will be opened to them. And there is this connection that we have that God says to us, I want you to bring to me the desires of your heart. I want you to pray bold, risk-taking prayers about your expectations for me. Now, when we hear those things and we read that and we think about it, I think we have a tendency to get a little bit nervous. Because we have had experiences or read about experiences of people who have taken that to an extreme and said, God said, if you ask, seek, knock, he'll do whatever you want. And that's the formula. I've discovered the formula. If you ask with these words in this way, God has to give you what you want. Period. And it becomes this this type of prayer that really is manipulating God. What it means, it really comes back to, it's about us, not God. That's a very pagan way of thinking. That's the kind of thinking that, that God uh, abhors in the Old Testament. As the, people, the nations around Israel believe that their gods will give them what they want if they go through the right ritual in the right way, saying the right words at the right time, in the right place. And there is this mindset that if we just get the formula right, that will unlock the door. That will, that will spring all the things that we want. And it becomes much more about us telling God what to do, demanding what God should do, and manipulating God based on our desires. And so because of that, which is, I, I think, unbiblical thinking... We have a tendency to swing the pendulum all the way to the other side. And because we're nervous about not being that, we say, let's just be safe. I'm only going to pray prayers that feel comfortable and safe, prayers that I pretty much already know the answer to. And I won't really have high expectations for God because I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to be embarrassed if it doesn't happen. Now, I've had those experiences. I suspect you've had those experiences. I I sometimes feel this way. I mean, I tend to be kind of a cautious person anyway, and I I sometimes feel this way when I'm rooting for my favorite sports teams, and they're in a close game, and I I don't want to root too much because if I get too excited and they lose, which seems to happen regularly, um, I'll be really disappointed so I choose to just simply try to be as unemotional about it as possible. And then if they lose, it's disappointing, but it's not as disappointing. It's safe. I think we pray like that often. We say, Lord, you know, we, we'd really like for you to do this, but I know that's asking a lot. and and I know that, that that makes me feel uncomfortable to stick my neck out like that. So let's just ask for this. And we play it safe thinking we won't be disappointed and we won't be embarrassed. Because if we, if we pray these bold prayers and, and it doesn't happen, then we're going to look like fools. And of course we forget that Paul says the gospel looks like foolishness to most people anyway. And here's the thing, who cares if we look like fools? We've done what God's asked us to do. It's hard. We all wrestle with it. I think for most of us, I would suspect that our, our prayers and our expectations often probably are best described by the title of J.B. Phillips' book that he wrote in the 1950s, Your God is Too Small. And I know there are many times where in my prayers, the the image I have of God and the expectations I have of God are too small, too limiting, too safe. When I read the Scriptures and and I read about the great holy people of God and I listen to them pray, they pray bold, audacious prayers. Daniel, and Peter, Paul, and certainly Jesus. And on through church history, you find this over and over and over again. The closer people are to God, the more risk-taking and outrageous and audacious are their prayers. And they're not in that camp. They're not demanding of God. They're not trying to manipulate God. They are simply taking seriously what God has asked of his people. Pray bold prayers. Expect great things. And then leave it to me. See, that's the hard part, is that because we, because we can't manipulate God and we can't, we can't figure out the way to unlock the door so that we always get what we want, then we realize that the answers are always in God's hands. And sometimes God does what we want and sometimes he doesn't, and that frustrates us. And rightly so. I mean, it frustrates me. And I've been trying to think of, of you know, how, how to understand that. I Maybe mean, throughout my life, I've been pondering, how do I understand that? I don't know that we'll ever fully understand it because it's the difference between us and God. But it, it makes me wonder if it's not something, at least part of it, is something like our, our interactions with children. In one way or another, you've probably had interactions with children, maybe as a parent, as an older sibling, aunt, uncle, babysitter. You've had interactions with children, and children love to ask for things. Go to a grocery store with a child. Can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? They have to ask, come on, can we do this? Can we do that? Can I do this? Can I do that? They love to ask things. And... As loving people, we want to do as much as we'll say yes as often as we can. And when we say no, hopefully it's not because we're just trying to be mean and we're irritated and we just want to see them upset. We say no because it's maybe unhealthy for them to have chocolate cake for breakfast every morning? To stay up till two o'clock every morning? To go out and play in the street? We make decisions, and we do our best to explain to them why we are saying no, and most of the time, they just can't get it because they're children. Now, I have to tell you, I'm seeing this whole thing from a little different perspective being a grandparent, because now I'm thinking, whatever Emma wants, Emma gets, you know? I mean, she's already here, and she's not even five months old yet, you know, and well, we'll let her mean parents say no. Grandpa says yes. That's just the way we work at this, you know. Good cop parents. Um, and then I realize that's not good for her. That could be dangerous for her. Unhealthy for her. Not really loving to her. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do with a child is to say No. And I suspect there are many moments in our lives in which we are in the same position with God as we are with children. And like the children, it's so difficult for us to understand it. We don't get it. I'm not sure we can get it. We wrestle with it. We try. We do our best. But it doesn't happen because we just can't quite fathom the mind of God. But let me say this, I think there are also times when that explanation doesn't work. There are things in our lives that we pray about and we pray earnestly about and we look at and we can think of absolutely no possible reason why God would say no to that. Why would God not want this person healed? Why would God not want this horrific circumstance to end? Why would God not want these things to change? And I don't know the answer to that. I just know I ask the questions. And I wonder. And I ponder and I squirm and I struggle just like you do. I do think it's important to to understand that when we talk about miracles, we talk about God doing these things that are so much bigger than our minds can imagine, that we could expect, I think it's important to, to understand that miracles are not the suspension of the natural order. They are actually glimpses into the restoration of the natural order. We have a tendency to think that miracles are God stopping the natural order from from operating as it should. But actually, God created the natural order to be without disease and hunger and death. And Jesus comes and he does miracles and he heals the sick and he feeds the hungry and he raises the dead to new life. And in doing that, he's not suspending the natural order. He is now giving us glimpses into what the restored, fully restored natural order will be when he reappears. And when we enter the new heaven and the new earth. And those miracles are asking God to give us more glimpses. But we live in a fallen world, we live in a broken world. And we have free will, and that free will God has chosen to, to give us that free will. And that means he doesn't always step in and answer every question we have. I wish I could tell you why every time. I wish I could give you a formula to answer all of our questions, but I can't. But I do know this, God calls the church to high expectations about what he's doing. God is asking the church not to play it safe, but to pray boldly, to pray audaciously, to pray risk-taking prayers and then to trust him. At the heart of of what the what the pagans how the pagans view their gods is that their gods don't really want to do good things for them. And the only way they can convince the gods to do good things is to trick them or cajole them or to beg them until they can't take it anymore. To do do just the right formula and do it in just the right way that the gods have no choice. And even though they don't want to do good for people, they have to. Because those people unlocked the secret. One of the reasons I think God gets so angry with Israel when they start worshiping God, worshiping Him and other gods the same way. Because it implies that at His, the nature of His being, God doesn't want to do good things for people. But from beginning to end, God keeps telling us, I am a God of love and compassion and grace and mercy. And I know that sometimes you don't understand why things aren't different, and why it seems as though I'm ignoring your prayers. But actually, all of this is grace. And he's asking us to trust him. And I think one of the ways we trust God is to pray these bold, risk-taking prayers as a declaration that we believe God is loving and good. And that we trust him to do what is right and best, whether we understand it or not. I keep going back to Jesus' words in Luke 11, after he talks about asking, seeking, knocking, he says, For you who are, who are parents, who are sinful, evil parents, far from perfect parents, if you have it in your heart to do good for your children, how much more? your loving Father in heaven. How much more? That's why we're going to come together and pray today. Because sometimes we need the faith of other people to encourage our faith. Sometimes we need other people to pray for us words that we want to pray but can't quite Pray. And you know, communities can can develop uh, an atmosphere of faith and an atmosphere of doubt. One of the most amazing and in a negative way, one of the most confounding passages of scripture to me is Mark five Mark six. Jesus is in Nazareth, and as he leaves, Mark says He was unable to do many miracles there because the whole town was basically in unbelief. I think, wow, this is Jesus. Somehow, our faith or doubt has some kind of bearing on what God does and doesn't do. Again, it's not a formula, but there is a connection. And just as faith communities can can create an atmosphere of doubt, and there are some churches that do that and have very low expectations, just play it safe, and then wonder, we don't really see God doing anything. But there are also communities of faith, some churches, that have decided they want to create an atmosphere of faith. And in that atmosphere of faith, there are expectations. And there are bold prayers, and there are risk-taking prayers. And And it's not, again, it's not manipulating God, it's not demanding of God, it's not telling God what to do, it's not trying to control God, but it is saying, God, we want to trust you. And one of the ways in which we as a church can trust you, to declare who you are, we believe that you are a God of love and goodness and mercy, is to pray these prayers. And the amazing thing to me is that often the greatest miracles are not what we pray for, but what happens to us when we pray. Sometimes the greatest miracles are the change that God does in us as we pray these prayers that are rooted in faith and trust. In Acts chapter 8, there is a story of the disciples going to Samaria And healing people and seeing transformed lives and an amazing experience. And at the end of that chapter, it says that the disciples returned to Jerusalem. And on the way, they stopped in many Samaritan villages and preached the gospel. That's one of those phrases that you read and you think it's sort of a throwaway phrase. Okay, that's fine. See, I don't think we realize how how much hostility and animosity there is between Jews and Samaritans. How upset the disciples are when Jesus stops, goes through Samaria, first of all, and then stops at the well and talks to the Samaritan woman and offers her his grace. They don't associate with other; they don't, they don't connect with each other. And yet here are the disciples not just tolerating a few Samaritans who want to know about Jesus, but they're actually stopping in all of these villages along the way to preach the gospel because their desire is that these Samaritans that they're supposed to hate. They want them to experience the grace and mercy of Jesus like they have. That's a miracle. And so this morning, we want to pray together for each other. We want to share in, in the body. And in a few moments, the elders and the staff are going to come up We're going to stand here behind the altar rail and invite those of you who would like to come to the altar rail. You can kneel here or you can sit in the red chairs and to give us the privilege of praying for you. You know, it's important to understand we're not standing up here because we have more faith than anybody else in the room and we're saying, just look at us. All of us have the same questions that you have. But we want, we want to, to create, to develop an atmosphere of faith, of higher expectations, of believing that when God says He will do more than we could dream or imagine, that's the way we pray. And we consider it a privilege to be able to pray with you about those things. It can be anything you would like to pray for. In the first couple of services, We've prayed for people who had issues of health. We've prayed for children. We've prayed for families. We've prayed for spiritual growth. We've prayed for, for um, our world. Some people have come in proxy for others who aren't able to be here today and have said, could you pray for them by praying with me here? Whatever you want. We just want to take the time to pray and to believe God to do more than we could do ourselves. More than just what's safe. To experience the joy, the blessing of praying, of trusting God, of praying those big, audacious prayers and leaving the answers to Him. I'm going to pray for us just a moment to prepare us and then I'm going to ask the elders and staff to come and then you to come as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for desiring us to pray. We have to admit there are a lot of things about this that we do not understand. Sometimes we feel disappointed by what you don't do. Sometimes we are ungrateful for what you do. We ask that you will increase our faith today and give us the ability to sense your spirit working in each of us as we pray together through Christ Jesus. Amen. you'd like for us to pray for you, please come and we would be privileged to do that. Thank you for hearing our prayers thank you for calling us to more than ourselves to begin to see more and more of who you are father we pray for not only the needs that we've come about today but other burdens and concerns that are our minds this morning we think of those who are grieving today we pray for Bill Duzma and his family, the death of his mother. For Linda Roth and her family, the death of her sister. And for others among us who are grieving, we pray your comforting presence on them. Lord, we pray for uh, those who are struggling with illness and pain. We pray for Phil Muker Ted Hopkins, for Evelyn Heil and Alice Brown. For Florence Tuber and Mike Raybuck and Jill Tyson and Bruce Brenneman, for Bev Rett, for Micah Christensen and Linda Roth and Dick Gould and Crystal Blake and Emily Cricklar and others who are on our hearts and minds today. Father, we pray for our world. They're so grieved to again read about bombings in Turkey and so many deaths. Or we pray that you would do something in our world that would, would cause us to see that violence and war doesn't do anything. Lord, we pray that you will break down barriers and that you will bring peace to our violent, warring world. We pray, Father, for those who are dealing with the effects of natural disasters, and people around the world and people in our own country, We ask that you would give them refuge. We pray that your church, your people, would be a source of help in the midst of these very difficult times. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who face persecution. As we come for worship today in total freedom, so many worship under threats and opposition and persecution. We pray that you would protect them And give them courage and strength and and may they witness your grace in the midst of these difficult times. Lord, I pray for my mom and dad as they are moving into retirement and pray that you would continue to bless the efforts of their work through the years and we pray that you would help them as they minister in their church and work with mentoring and a variety of things and we pray that you would would give them the ability to continue to help others as others help them. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you for your grace poured out upon us. We ask all of this in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, remembering the prayer that He taught His disciples to pray: "Our Father who art in heaven." To go from this place into the world, please stand as we sing together hymn number 43 and declare the faithfulness of God. face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.